This is the SFF Audio Podcast. Hi, I'm Jesse. Hi, I'm Paul. Hello, I'm Brian. Hi, I'm Misa. And we're going to talk about When Worlds Collide, a 1933 science fiction novel written by Philip Wiley and Edwin Balmer, or Edwin Balmer and Philip Wiley. Sometimes credited one way, sometimes credited the other way. Um, I have not read any Edwin Balmer except for this. I have read other Philip Wiley. Um, I thought he wrote an amazing book that he didn't write. Uh, That was Ira Levin. But I've still read some of his other stuff, and I I think he's pretty good. uh, Brian, I assume you've read Gladiator. Is that correct? I have not. Oh, I? I think we should do Gladiator someday. Not because I've read it, but because I think it sounds awesome. It's right, the first superhero novel, right? Sort of inventing mm-hmm. the superhero. In the he he, you know, bit, bitten by a radioactive spider or whatever it is, he gains super strength and the ability to jump over tall buildings in a single bound sort of thing. I think there are a couple of predecessors to that, like uh, uh, Odd John by Stapledon. I have not read Odd John. Uh, but the superhero is an American invention. So if this is an American novel, I, I'd be willing to take that. Yeah. And of course, there's another aspect of Superman, um, which is straight out of this book, right? The uh, fleeing a dead world um, yep, and arriving yeah. on a new world and maybe getting superpowers. I don't know. I haven't read the sequel. <laughs> I have read I have read the sequel, however. After Worlds Collide. After Worlds Collide. Yep. That's a fun book. It, that, is a very, that is a very fun book. Going by mm-hmm. the, the images in the illustrations uh, in a magazine called The Passing Show, it looks pretty awesome. Um, the the uh, the depiction of two guys walking down a hallway in an alien building, and then you see the relief on the wall. It's just amazing, amazing mm. illustrations. I love it. Um, I mean, the, the tiny the tiny bit in this novel at the end where they're talking mm-hmm. about the inscription and stuff is just a taste of the kinds of stuff they find in Afterworlds Collide. There's also lots of other plots about up. About the other ships that do make it. This is spoiler. Right. This is this is not the only ship that makes it to uh, Bronson Beta and their interactions. Yeah, that should it's be fun. Goodness. Yeah, it's I really want to read that. I'm kind, kind of, of tempted. Yeah. I, I wanna I wanna tell you one thing. I don't think I included in the uh, serialized serialized PDF from 1932-1933 in Blue Book. That's the first publication of this novel. Um, in the very last page of the last issue of the magazine, uh, February 1933, it promises, uh, this is on, in the inside back cover, it says, um, here in the office, we have been especially interested in that extraordinary novel, When Worlds Collide, which comes to an impressive climax in this issue. And a number of people have asked, isn't there a sequel coming? Shouldn't another novel be written of the experiences of these daring pilgrims from Earth on a strange re- reawakened planet that gives them refuge? That's a that's a direct quote, by the way. What what do you readers think about that and the possibilities of a story wherein a group of people escape from the Earth would attempt to remake a world nearer to the heart's desire? Ooh. Um. Da, da, da. Yeah, and uh, I think. 
basically they're saying, yeah, there's going to be a sequel because unless you say no, we're going to make a sequel. And it, it, it's less than a year later that the sequel starts up, right? Yeah. yeah. And apparently uh, George Powell wanted to make a sequel movie. Um, I but, that. but he did. Um, he uh, totally failed in another science fiction film after When Worlds Collide. So that kind of burned him in the studio on it, and they didn't never made it, which is too bad because that would have been fun. Well, I have I have two points to make. One, Cecil B. DeMille wanted to make a movie out of out of this novel. What a 19, great yeah! In 1933, which yeah. you know, in July 1933, this this serial concluded. What did I say? June? No. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh no, February. Yeah, February 1933. So just a few months later, he they had already booked uh, or you know done the contract or whatever to option it, and it never happened because of some sort of development problem, right? Um, he was he was gonna do it as his next film after the one he was working on, and it just imagine Cecil B. DeMille doing this. Uh, I think George Powell's version would pale in comparison. Pale. <laughs> and yeah. I gotta tell you. After watching all the other movies that are related to this, it it was the least good. I was not impressed at all with uh, when worlds collides the the actual it's a, film it, adaptation. It's it, it's a very B fifties movie. Yeah. With the with, yeah with the sets the acting, the the cinematography right down to that crappy match shot at the end where they're walking. Walking off the spaceship, which is funny because they're carrying animals and stuff, which I think is hilarious. And then we just see a match shot of the planet. It's a really bad matchup because it looks like one. It doesn't look like anything even trying to resemble yeah. Trump O'Leal. And that's the end of the movie. It's like, ah. The only reason I, to watch this movie, in my opinion, is the part at the beginning where Ransdell, is, is that what they kept his name as? Is He's, he's uh, in the airplane smooching his girl while... <laughs> <laughs> While he's flying the aircraft and basically not paying any attention to the controls, he's he's a, he's he, he no you know he's like one of those space jockey girl that report types. I mean, the, a movie you didn't watch that that just this just reminds me of. Remember uh, Guardians of the Galaxy? Yeah. Yes. Because, because he because he goes goes to this alien planet, gets stuff, gets off, and then he only remembers that the girl he had was. Yeah, this was in the ship the entire time. Okay. Like, oops. All right. <laughs> um, uh, there's a there's a um, another connection besides Superman uh, and his Kryptonian origin story to this novel. This book spawned many, uh, and I, I guess the movies as well, um, spawned many sort of spinoffs. Um, it's a very interesting one. Flash Gordon uh, was directly inspired by this, so. We we all sort of know Buck Rogers, Flash Gordon as sort of the serials with you know a hero in space, but uh, the the professor, his beautiful daughter, and uh, Flash Gordon, the the football hero, right? Um, mm-hmm. He he's he's Tony, isn't he? In that in this yeah. book? Yeah. Um, well, what Tony and Tony in the book is a stockbroker. Yeah. Yeah, he starts. So he, yeah, he, he's he's not the physical type. Randall. Um, Randall uh, is really. Randall. The, he's he's described as physical though. Totally. Right, but he, he used to be a foot. He used to be a football player. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm just making that up. 
No, when, but, no he's, uh, he was college football, and at the, uh, it appears at the end of the book when he has a religious moment and uh, um, the uh, commander says, oh, I didn't think that of you, football player. Right. Yeah. All yes, he has, he has an uncounterfeitable trait which goes with that we call good birth and breeding and oh. generations of the like before him. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes, he is. Uh, he is kind of like the uh, the wasp. We got to be careful. Go with all this the is a whole thing that we got to get into, I think. But uh, before we do that, I wanna I wanna talk about the uh, a couple more precursors and a couple mm-hmm. more um, follow up things. So the precursors that uh, I mean, this is an amazing book. If it stood on its own, it would be. It's it's hard to I think. It's hard to gauge exactly how big a book this was for the people of the time, but I think it was pretty damn big, considering how um, it got a serialization in what is it called, the Queen of the Pulps, Blue Book magazine, yep. in a t- in a period when um, pulp magazines were the premier way of getting um, content to the people, right? Other than you know a newspaper, which yes did stories, but not in a major way. Films are, yeah, they're up and they're up and coming, but they're sort of they're just adapting li- the literature, which is coming straight out of these these magazines. And, yeah, and this is in the middle of the depression. I can imagine people buying this as a way just to escape from the daily grind of the horribleness of that era and just falling mm-hmm. for it deeply. It's like, oh yeah, we're, we're, the world's gonna end. We're gonna go to, and some people go to another planet. I'll read that. But <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, because my daily life sucks. You can feel oh, well, the. Yeah. You can feel the uh, Roosevelt administration going, uh, going, uh, you know, shaking the foundations of this novel as well, just with uh, all the appropriations and all the things that, all all the work programs and all that stuff that's in the background. Mm -hmm. There's a line about uh, making the unemployed guys work. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, it's a big works program. Mm -hmm. Um, But also, I have to wonder about the the if it's if it's simpler than that too, which is if you're living in a crappy existence seeing something even worse you know um you know i, I i'm reminded of how uh, arkham house gave um the pentagon copyright for the outsider and others the hp uh, lovecraft collection mm-hmm. so they could give lovecraft stories to uh, gi's at war <laughs> and you know i mean if, so if you know if you're on a, a burned out you know pacific island or if you're you know fighting across the rhine in europe maybe Maybe it helps to have something even worse in mind, you know. That's fascinating. Yeah, that's true. Hmm. Um, yeah, it, there's a lot going. I mean, the uh, there's a, a number of scenes in here. I I want to get to them, but before we get too deep into that, because this book is big, I wanna I wanna do a little checklist. Um, H. G. Wells wrote a story in 1898 or published in 1898 called The Star, yeah. which is basically this novel without the spaceships. Uh, it's a short story in which a uh, Earth is uh, approached by a dead star or nemesis, I guess Isaac Asimov would call it, and it it virtually destroys the Earth in uh, the same way, you know, gravitationally that this one does. Um, there's a, an, another terrific story that almost nobody knows about because I'd never heard of it until I found it uh, called Finney. I believe it's by Frank Lilly Pollock, but um, I might be going uh, uh, a little bit off on that. Um, it's uh, on the PDF page, and it we did a reading short and deep on it. 
it uh, is about the destruction of the Earth by the uh, discovery that this, there is a star in the center of the galaxy, although they don't know that it's called the galaxy at the time the story is written. Um, they said universe. Um, that is massive, and they detect it using gravitational waves. Um, it's set in the future, um, which turn out to be a thing, gravitational waves. Um, and they also live in a universe in which the gravitational waves uh, move faster or instantaneously as opposed to um, light, which has a finite speed. And uh, th so they know it's there and they're waiting for it to show up. It's finally going to show up because it's a certain distance away. They can feel the gravitational attraction around which all the galaxy spins or the universe spins. And they're staying up late at night in New York with the telescopes staring up into the sky. And when it finally it appears, it turns out that it's a lot bigger than they thought. It's It takes up three-quarters of the uh, the sky. <laughs> and the wow. Earth starts cooking. Um, oh. And giant waves, uh, tidal waves pour in and all sorts of you know earthquakes, all the horrible things that happen when you start cooking the Earth microwave style. Um and it's got you know all the uh, romantic elements that this has too. So, this this fits into a long tradition, uh, but it also spawns a number of traditions. There's another story called The Star by um, Arthur C. Clarke that has yeah. um, basically the story of uh, Bronson Beta, um, except Bronson Beta doesn't fly off. They go find Bronson Beta in. And it's also got biblical connections. Um, there is a, a story by um, was I want to say El Sprague de Camp, but that's not him. It's the other guy with a funny name like that. Um, uh, you know the one I mean. It's about the Earth being um, frozen uh, after a dark star. Oh, Fritz Leiber. Fritz Leiber. That's Lieber. the guy. Yeah, Hail the Bear. A pail of air, right? Which it's, is actually, uh, what oh, happens. Right. Which happens to he this. He did a He did a Hugo Award-winning novel called right. The Wanderer. Yep. Right. I I started reading it and never finished it for some reason. Um, I should actually go back and look at that again now that I think about it. Um, and then there's movies. Um, in 1933, there was a end of the world movie that I watched uh, for this occasion, sort of. It just came out on DVD. It was lost for a long time. They had an Italian uh, sound, uh, Italian print that was terrible, and then somebody found the English soundtrack, and they put them all together, released it on DVD. It's called Deluge, and it's uh, based on a novel by S. Fowler Wright, who uh, wrote it or published it in 1928, got turned into a movie, came out in 1933, and it features the destruction of New York, uh, including the... Um, uh, the the Statue of Liberty, which is sort of a an ongoing motif in basically all science fiction stories, from uh, what's uh, Planet of the Apes to uh, pretty much every cover of uh, Universe of Fa Fantastic Universe magazine, and um, it, it's uh, it's a pretty impressive movie, uh, at least at the beginning of the movie. After the deluge comes, it turns into sort of a thuggy romance plot. I don't really understand why why it is like that. But it's got attractive stars and uh, and amazing special effects, so it's worth looking at at least on, on YouTube. 
1979, I watched a Meteor, which is uh, people shit on this movie quite a bit. I noticed. Um, it's Sean Connery. Yeah, Sean Connery as a uh, astrophysicist, yeah. right? Or no, he's a uh, Star Wars strategic defense initiative scientist who wanted to defend the Earth against uh, rogue meteors, but the government went against him. It has a number of elements that fit into this. Um, Was deep, it any good? Uh, it's not terrible, but it's not great either. Mm-hmm. Deep Impact, I, I rewatched. I, oh, yeah. I refused to watch uh, Armageddon. <laughs> Armageddon? I, I had enough of that. I don't ever need to see that movie ever again. Yeah, Armageddon's pretty stupid. Oh, my um, God. It, it makes intelligence. It makes uh, Independence Day look like a PhD. That's what I'm. That's <laughs> what I'm feeling. Uh, I don't need the music video of them slowly walking to the, no, to no, the no. rocket ship. Um, yeah, you're, you're, uh, deep Impact. I uh, I guess we had a little thing on Twitter, Paul. Um, with who was that? Might have been Fred. I think Kish. it was Fred. Yeah. Um and. I was reminded, yeah, it actually has a lot of elements straight out of this, and uh, Fred pointed out that it actually was supposed to be a remake of When Worlds Collide, the film. Um, yeah. So at the beginning, a reporter has uh, tracks down a discovery, it's, you know, there's something going on, and then at the end there's arcs. Uh, they're not movable arcs. But the crowning version, the crowning adaptation of When Worlds Collide, I have to insist, is a movie that most people will not like, and I can't believe I enjoy it as much as I do, but 2012, of the 2009 I, 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 I have a soft spot for this movie. I know it's awful. It's not. It's not but awful. I can't stop watching I, it. I cannot believe how not awful it is, even though it, it literally should be the most awful thing ever. One of the reasons no, it's, it, it's not awful. The driving through the building scene. It's so <laughs> ridiculous. It's so ridiculous. Oh, they oh, know man. that their idea for the film is stupid. They know it. They embrace it. And they say, yeah, this is the most stupid thing ever. There's so many scenes when the scientists stand around and say, say things like that they know are stupid. One, one of the guys says, the neutrinos are microwaving the Earth. And they've mutated. <laughs> <laughs> Neutrinos mutated, huh? Well, okay, they go it's with not, It's not as bad as say, Battlefield Earth, right? Or Armageddon. I, I haven't seen that, but I assume it's oh, it's the worst oh, thing man. ever made. Oh, oh, god, oh no! Oh god, yeah, cavemen yeah, flying Harrier jets. Like, it, it's like it's like Ed Wood with a budget. It's it's pretty bad. <laughs> um, oh. it's, it's not as mind-bendingly bad as some non-SF bad movies like, say, The Room, or um, it's kind of like Birdemic, really. It's um, if I've you seen I've, I've seen Birdemic for Torture yeah. Cinema. That was bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, all right, Jesse, I've got to stop you for your own sake and Thank recommend you. enough for a different movie. Uh, which is um, Lars von Trier's movie Melancholia. Yeah, so I, oh. I didn't understand why you, oh. you mentioned that because I've re- I've seen some Lars von Trier and I didn't see any connection, but I also haven't seen that movie. What's the connection? Well, he he did do a uh, a genre movie early in his career called uh, The Element of Crime, uh, which I, I do recommend. It's a no-budget uh, kind of near-future procedural, which is interesting. Um, but Melancholia is uh, later in his career when he's a big star, uh, and if 
it's an interesting plot idea. Um, a huge planet is coming close to the Earth, um, and everyone thinks it's going to pass us by and it'll just be interesting. Um, and the main character uh, becomes convinced it's going to kill us all. Um, she's stricken with depression, and the movie is really primarily about depression. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's really, really good about that. Um, is I know Kristen that's- Dunst in that movie? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah. Uh, um, and also Kiefer Sutherland, weirdly. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, it, yeah, did, I mean, what do you think, Mesa? Well, it, it's uh, it's been a while. I thought it was interesting, but I now I have to try and rewind and get myself in there again. Um, yeah. The, the science fiction plot is 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 a framework for it. It's not the main content, um, mm-hmm. but it's uh, there's there's all there is some plot around it. You know, like um, you know, will it go past the Earth? How will this happen? And there's scientific explanations for this, um, and it's it's gorgeous. I mean, it is beautiful. I remember that. It's beautiful. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that's that's one which I would say is on a different a different plane. Um, Beyond that, for destroy the world, and literally destroy the world, um, I'd uh, I'd also add to this uh, Greg Benford's uh, Forge of God, mm-hmm. uh, which wait, is Benford or Bear? I was this guy's confused. Um, uh, uh, that's Bear. Yeah, yeah. Forge of God is Bear. Um, so that's where the uh, aliens uh, blow up the world, um, and it, it's got a lot of great bits. Like when we make first contact, the first alien who set, speaks to us says, "I have bad news." which is awesome yeah understatement (laughs) and at at the end of the book there's this really dramatic scene it's a setup for the sequel again this is always the thing right um where humans we are rescued by uh good aliens basically bad aliens are going around the the galaxy blowing up planets and killing people and the good aliens are trying to stop them and so the good aliens have their own arc so we don't build an arc we're not good enough um, but good aliens take us off and they make the survivors watch the destruction of the earth Whoa. because they want to convince us, the survivors to become an army that will then fight the bad aliens. And that's mm-hmm. the setup of the sequel. The sequel is actually very good. Um, but that's, but because the author is a scientist, the destruction of the earth is really fascinating and, and very well done. I mean, there's things like, um, they seed the, uh, fault lines under the sea with, uh, H bombs and antimatter bombs um, just to, you know, really crack the whole thing open. Um, so I, I recommend that. You know, uh, now that I, it's not in my notes, but now that you mentioned some novels uh, subsequent, obviously Lucifer's Hammer. Hammer, yep. Uh, Larry Niven, we have, Larry Purnell Yeah, we haven't novel. done that one on the, we haven't done that one on the podcast, although we I, did Footfall, and if you remember uh, in Footfall, yeah. the aliens, the, the Footfall, at one point, the aliens drop a meteor into the Indian Ocean, remember? Yeah, yeah, it's a little bit of fan fiction of themselves. Yeah, yes, it is. exactly. Um, Lucifer's Hammer is, is a sort of a, a very detailed look at the destruction of the Earth. And also, uh, Arthur C. Clarke came back uh, with a novel called Hammer of God, which I've read and do not think is the greatest book ever. Um, Did you hear it before with somebody else? Uh, I don't think I've done a podcast on it. I think it's just um, I've read it and it. It's it is it's about uh, an asteroid named Kali coming to destroy the Earth, and they yeah. you know their ideas. Let's go out there and so it's it, you can see the evolution of the plot ideas, everything going on. I mean, what's so heavy in this book that is astounding to me, 
it's so heavy. And then it's also it's even heavier in the movie adaptation, the straight up movie adaptation. But then almost every American movie adaptation of it is the religious elements, right? So how could you make it more obvious than having the only basically girl on the spaceship be named Eve? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> let, oh, yeah. let me just uh, clarify here. Her name is Eve. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Um, yeah I was interesting that they changed it in the movie. Well, yeah, what did she they? Did her name was Joyce was, in the movie. Joyce. Uh, Wow, that totally changes it. They changed yeah, the name completely. of the Bronson B to something else as well, which yeah, but but th- that her name change was the biggest change for me. Well, and the stupid re- relationship was was I didn't understand why they did it that way either. But mostly she had to hand out sandwiches. That was her main job. <laughs> no, I meant the relationship. The the romance was very different. It was oh, opposite. Terrible. Isn't there um isn't there a uh, zillionaire who's disabled in the movie? Yes. Yeah, yeah, that's different. Too. Now he's yep. mentioned in the book, and there's a picture of him. Uh, he did. He, he, he does show up, up in the book. He, he so, shows up in the book, but the yeah, fourth, the fourth richest American, right, shows up mm-hmm. um, with a plane load of money. And it's a really oh, that iconic was hilarious. scene. A really iconic scene. It is. Yeah. It is why when it, thinking about that scene and thinking about why 2012 works so well. Um, there's so much time in 2012 spent with this billionaire Russian guy and his family and the mistress and her boyfriend. <laughs> They were awesome. awesome. It is such a strange... um, So what's so strange about this novel is how ambivalent everything is, how ambiguous I feel, or how ambivalent I feel about so many of the things that are going on. Like, sometimes when the story is told, it's the government doing it, and the government's doing good things, right? And other times when this story is told, like in this novel, the government really doesn't have anything to do with it. Right, and mm-hmm. nobody's getting paid, but uh, this this novel uh, on my list of notes, this novel is, I think, what made Robert Heinlein write the way Robert Heinlein wrote, because it is so Robert Heinlein in so many respects. Very um, Ayn Randish, yes. Oh, and that's the other note I made is, it's super Anne Randy. <laughs> okay, you don't, you don't mean in terms of style. You mean in terms of uh, content. Content, but, but also a little bit about like like yeah, decisions. Like, so if 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 Anne Rand wrote this novel, which I could believe, like if you if you wipe my memory and said Anne Rand wrote this, I'd say, wow, she's a lot better than I thought. I mean, I liked uh, <laughs> the Fountainhead in certain respects. It's it's a very sort of robust and has a certain sort of uh, austere architecture thing going. But uh, she's she's uh, she's a thoughtful person, right? But the thing is, is she's not really as thoughtful as everybody who thinks she's great thinks she is. She's she's more strangey in a in a very strange way. She's got sort of a brokenness inside of her that she applies to the world and thinks that that is correct. In here, we see that a little bit. So, like, who is funding this? Well, it seems to be nobody. Everybody's working for free, and money doesn't matter. But I don't know how you get. I don't know how, how you get. How do you get truckloads? How do you get truckloads and truckloads and truckloads of material 
to a certain place and then get that all, um, you know, fueled, those trucks fueled. And, like, the thing is, is economics do matter, even if you have free slave labor. I have two theories about this, but Maisa was going to say something. Oh, no, I was just going to say that everybody's working for free because it doesn't matter. It doesn't. But that's only the people in the camp, right? It's not the people, the rest of the people in the, in the, the state, in, in the United States. Like, they have, to, they have to get a new medal. Okay, that's cool, right? So they go off looking with their helicopters, and that gives us the nice tour of, of all the horrors that are going on. But where did that fuel for the helicopter come from? Or the, it's and not a helicopter, they, airplane, they, they, whatever it is. They, they said they found, they refueled <laughs> at some point. Like, where did that come from? Yeah, so, like... The thing is, is the econ- well, economics on this are quite broken. And so when if, if Robert A. Heinlein was writing it, um, what he would do is he would have just the billionaire be the funder. And then, yeah. you know, he'd do it all in secret. And that would sort of solve the economic problems that are missing from this this Isn't novel. That- well, you know, what, you know how I saw it, Jesse? Yeah. The Three, what, what they said, one-fifth of, the pop, one-fifth of the world lived through the first calamity. Right. So, okay, mm-hmm. so all these tidal waves came, swept through, then they receded. So only, there's only one-fifth left. Mm-hmm. So when the water recedes, everything is, I mean, there is stuff still there. You can go get, it's, there's nobody there to use it. They can go get it. They could have fudged like, it a little better, I think, yeah. That's, that's how I imagined well, it. Yeah. But a lot of the infrastructure and stuff has been wrecked. It's yeah. been wrecked. I mean, yeah. I mean, it would be nice to like say, "Oh yeah, we found a fueling station that was still full of fuel," rather than just saying, "Oh yeah, we refueled." It'd been nice to have at least clarified detail a little bit that they found it. This reminds me weirdly. Okay, weird side digression. There's a movie called The Last Car Chase. Mm. It has Steve Majors in it, and Whoa. it's about. And it's about it's about this guy that decides to drive from Boston to California after cars have been banned because he's got a way to get the last drugs of fuel out of fuel pumps. And so he can just keep fueling his car and going west over and over, which may, which is at least they like they at least acknowledge that he needs this fuel to get across the country rather than just forgetting about it. Hmm. It's a weird yeah. movie. Yeah, I, it's a, okay. uh, Lee Majors, not Steve Majors. Lee Majors, thank you. Sorry, <laughs> you, you would Google it. You Google I just did. Yeah. It's Steve Austin. Steve Austin. Steve Austin. No, okay, I'll, I completed oh. the character. Uh, all right, all, all right. Back. I have I have two theories, and because I always look at everything with economics in mind. Yes. Um, and one of these theories is funny, and one of these theories is dark. So the funny theory is the uh, zillionaire who shows up with all the cash, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's Nouveau Riche. Yes. What do we learn about Tony's family? Oh, how they fought in the Revolutionary War yeah. and yeah. in the Civil War? So they are old money. Mm-hmm. So my theory is that this was basically done using old fortunes and old money. Um, and because that's that attitude towards money, it's not privileged in the book. We're not going to talk about how it could work. It's just, you know, it is just arranged. And, you know, all that old money, we're talking about just the first couple of years of the Great Depression, a lot of that old money still existed, and they could tap that. And they could do that without government intervention and without those uh, shiny upstarts. Speaking of which, remember how the shiny upstarts get their comeuppance? Not just the zillionaire who looks like an idiot, 
But also, remember the description of Pittsburgh and uh, all the guys who get trapped in the uh, steel furnaces? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the great illustration so for that. Oh, my God, it's horrible. Yeah. Well, that's that's new money. Again, we're talking. This book is 1933, so that's new shiny industry. You know, these are these are the uh, the parvenus who are are being punished. So my my one theory is that this is basically just old money making it possible backroom deals. You know, because none of this is democratic. No, it's all done in. It's so mm-hmm. not democratic. That's that's what I'm saying. Like this is this is so Anne Randy. Um, one of one of the thing that's going on right is is this is Galt Gulch, 100 percent. We are the ones who are going to escape the earth. We know better. We discovered the magic metal, right? And it's our ingenuity, and uh, and there's a nobleness to it, and all the sort of austere, sort of weird sex, uh, sexual purity. And then the the difference is the thrown in Christian stuff, right? Like like that's the thing that makes Anne Rand <laughs> impossible to be Anne Rand. Is it, it, it so sure. heavily biblical um but again, uh, that's that's going to be part of the uh of the old money idea of mm-hmm. righteousness yeah. <laughs> let, me, let me make it darker for you um where does it begin yeah, south africa Did you... south yeah. africa mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. think about south africa in 1933 mm-hmm. think about the kind of population that's in sharp the lord what's his name uh, and Sad for him at the very end because many more lions. Right, that? right, yep. right. Um, so if we're going to be sympathetic for rich white guys in South Africa in 1933, that was bugging me. And then later on, all right, let me see what chapter this is. I'm sorry, I'm working on the um, uh, which edition is this? This is the ebook edition. So chapter eight called mm-hmm. "Marching Orders for the Human Race," which I want to come back to is a great title. Mm-hmm. But there's this really interesting bit, and i got to read this to you. Tony's in New York. Okay, He rode through a long, dark tunnel, then out to the station at 125th Street. His eyes rested uncomfortably on the close-pressed accumulation of ugly houses. It had been taken for granted too long, and upon the spawn who inhabited it, the best thoughts and dreams of the race fell unheeded. They lived and died and did not matter. A pollution ate steadily upward in every body of society from these far-reaching honeycombs of disease, dirt, stupidity, these worldwide remainders from the Middle Ages. Hmm. Yeah. So where, where is uh, 125th Street, New York, guys? That's in Harlem. Harlem, yeah. Harlem. So demographically at this time, this is when Harlem is majority black for the first time. This is right coming after the uh, Harlem Renaissance. Mm-hmm. Now, there are also a good number of immigrants coming from Eastern and Southern Europe um, who, sorry, who have just come from Eastern and Southern Europe. At this point, we're about 10 years after the U.S. uh, bans immigration in a massive Mm. way. So this is, I'm not, this is a a kind of Lovecraftian racial horror moment. Totally. Mm -hmm. And that paragraph is really brutal because it doesn't mention anybody. No. But it's important that it begins with a long, dark tunnel. I want um, I want to point out that the next paragraph I'm looking at the the original PDF uh, from the serial. Oh yeah. Tony oh yeah. had never been a religious uh, been religious in any conventional sense had be, who who had never been religious in any conventional sense had begun to share the feeling of Eve about what was going to happen. She had not been religious, but emotionally at least 
she had accepted the idea that God himself, capital H, had sickened with her selfishness, stupidity, and squalor, and in the disgust had tossed two pebbles through the sky on their errand, which night, which night by night now was becoming more apparent. So he's yeah driving yeah. through Harlem, oh, squalid horror, right? Yeah. So, well, it, 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 this is sort of a horror, a horror, super racist story. I mean, it very, it's very eugenics. The yeah, yeah, yeah but. Exactly. Exactly. Like, this is the golden age of eugenics. It um, is. So how many uh, how many non-white people are going to be in the ark? We know of only one. Which um, one? The the, the uh, Jap, right? Oh, yeah, right. The, yeah, the Jap and the Jap this Jap. The Jap. Yeah, that really grated on me every time I heard that in the book. In the book. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and keep in mind this is 1933. This is before mm-hmm. the U.S. gets into World War II in the Pacific, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. So it's going to get worse. Um, so your question, Jesse, was about money, mm-hmm. uh, and I wonder how much of this is bankrolled in Krugerrands huh. uh, from South Africa. Yeah. Uh, how much of this is aimed at uh, kind of you know purifying the race? Mace is absolutely right. This is a giant eugenics exercise. Mm-hmm. Yeah. See, I, see, I don't know this whole thing about paying for it. it doesn't make any sense to me because because who are they paying and what's the point of paying anybody that's going to be annihilated anyway like i don't to me that didn't even it's not even a consideration really uh, yeah, i well, i i think that I, this is this is so i agree with you in that it, but it's not enough so even if you don't pay for stuff you still have to pay for stuff right so one of the things even so in then an economy, even in an economy them- without any cash you still without money you still need to pay for stuff um that is you have to trade so imagine you, you know there is some i don't know what they're making their spaceship out of let's say it's made out of aluminum for for, for one thing right you have to get a bunch of trucks across to wherever that is right and load up the trucks with aluminum and then drive them back that means you, know, you, need you need a fuel. prequel. You need a prequel because they were they were ready. <laughs> they've been working on this for years and years before they made the announcement. Like we don't know, maybe all that stuff was there. It's kind of like uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Remember where um, there's this conspiracy of the government and scientists, and it's totally for our own good. Mm. Uh, mm. Yeah, that's that's in fact one of the great things. Just back here for a second. The yeah. first episode of the X Files begins with the same closing shot of the end of Close Encounters. Um, I'm sorry. The end of uh, the end of uh, 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 Indiana Jones. Remember when uh, the the right. ark is kept right. in a basement and it's for <laughs> yeah. good, right? Yeah. So the X Files returns to that and says, "This is really bad." Um, but you're absolutely right, Maya. So how long have these guys been doing this? We don't know. There's, mm-hmm. um, yeah. And, I mean, you're right. You have to pay things, but also there's there's more than that. Uh, later on, there's that interesting pay on to Peter Vanderbilt. So, which is weird, uh, the name, because Vanderbilt mm. was actually uh, a family right. uh, at the time, very, very wealthy family. I went. To this is set Van- a little bit in the future, I think. By the way, guys, not it's like it's uh, right. uh, of when it was written. It's set in probably it says the mid twentieth century, which is not right, right. where they are, right? Exactly. Not, so not too far. The fifties or I mean, something. I yeah. went to uh, Vanderbilt High School in, in New York, and uh, I went to Vanderbilt Planetarium. Um, I mean, Vanderbilt was a huge name. But but the end of this there's a this is late in the book there's a pay on to the Vanderbilts mm-hmm. um, the delicacy that comes from overbreeding a wiry nervous constitution an artist temperament taste a learned mind 
a gorgeous sense of humor and courage. Um, probably he's wasteful, spendthrift, decadent, and jaded, or at least he used to be, but how greatly his positive virtues outweigh his vices. Mm. He's a good egg, Tony replied. Yes. Um, <laughs> but I thought this is kind of like, this is, this is a Lovecraft hero, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. but, but, but the next sentence, Tony replied, I knew him for years. His sister went to school with my mother. Okay, so this is before uh, mass higher education. Mm-hmm. Um, and if his sister went with his mother, this is the elite, very, very small pool of, of the wealthy who get to do this. That's how you can arrange for truckloads of stuff. Mm-hmm. My family, their it's, family. You're right. You're right. You know, I, I literally got this feeling and I was like, I, I, I don't know if I should bring it up because it will make a lot of people grumpy. But I, I suppose <laughs> to do it. That, that makes me say I have to do it anyways. Um, I, I, was saying, I was saying to myself, huh, this is a novel for Hillary voters. And it's not because it's because it's it's the East Coast elites that are running things, right? So they they say, "What is everybody's problem? Why why can't they just vote for the right person?" Because it's because they don't feel the pain that everyone else is. like the the scene that gets to me, and it's in the illustration. I'm sure it got to you, Brian, with your interest in World War One. Is where they line up the machine guns and just start mowing down the plebes, right? Just yeah. Wait, wait, which, wait, 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 which mowing down? There's two in. There's oh actually my two. There's God. the one in Pittsburgh and there's the one at the actual base itself. At the base, like, which, and then okay. and then after after they machine gun them, they retreat to the to the uh, their gulch gulch, climb into their their you know indescribably awesome spacecraft that uh apparently that no one has ever tested before and then yeah. they, they'll strap in there. and then they just hover there cooking the earth yeah. of all the people and it's like yeah. this is a fantasy of so many people and i feel super ambivalent about it because uh it is good to escape the death of the earth but I'm not sure you should. So that's what I love about 2012, is that 2012 addresses the all the horror that's in the background of this. If you look at what Deep Impact does, if you watch those two movies back to back, which which is pretty much what I did, um, mm-hmm. Deep Impact is the government is here to save you. Um, we're going to do our best, and they they do it very incompetently. So a lot of people basically end up getting. Uh, killed by the the waves and and then the the heroes in space you know make the ultimate sacrifice and they end up diverting most of the damage sort of like near the end when we think that the earth might not might just get a glancing blow right of of this novel and so it, it has some stuff going for it it has a lot of the you know we we get a lot of pathos with the individual characters but there's way too uh, there was way too much love for MSNBC for me to make it love like a <laughs> like a for me to come away from that movie with anything sort other than a very bad taste in my mouth like saccharin and the horror it's it just was an American movie. horror with 2012 yeah, we've got we've got the cynicism just boiling beneath the surface but it comes out as almost a comedy and so when we have these scenes of the billionaire sitting next to his girlfriend who is basically what's that the the that's hot girl you know the one paris hilton she's paris hilton looking girl with a with a and we end up feeling sympathetic for her 
There's no one in that movie who I don't feel sympathy except even Oliver Platt, who in 20, I think he's in the 2012 movie, right? Yeah, he he's, is. He's the baddie. But I, I, you know, he's not as bad. He's just trying to get shit done. And yeah, he's 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 making horrible decisions. But even him, the worst sort of the billionaire even comes off pretty well, even though he's a monster. Yeah, I, I, at, at the end, yeah, he sacrifices himself at the with end. his so airplane like, full of, of you know millions of cars, right? With yeah. Million dollar cars. It, it it is a ridiculous sort of take on it, but it really puts the nail in the, in the problems that I have with this novel. And I'm and the thing is, is I loved it. I really enjoyed reading this. It was really fun. I, I found this book such a page turner. Like I wasn't oh, expecting totally. it to be. I was like, whoa! Like and it just kept going and it going and going. It. It, just it doesn't deserve it. It doesn't deserve it, but it's so good, right? It's everybody, everybody I mean, I mean, has affection it. for this book. Yeah, I mean this great. I, I mean that 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 set piece in the ruins of Chicago is just like, where are all the rats? It's like. Where are yeah. all the rats? <laughs> oh crap! They all got gas, and so did everybody else. Crap! But, Back but to you're World right. In in terms of the uh, 2012, like the, how they so in in the book that you know that whole thing about the hordes and and boiling them that reminded me like that's the Noah thing, right? Like mm-hmm. God God is going to destroy all of you. You're a bunch of worthless crap anyway. Right. But in the but you're right in the in the movie they said no. Open the doors. Let's not make these rooms for one. Let's make them for one hundred. <laughs> so they did and rectify. They, and they explain that, like, the, it's the billion dollar ticket, right? That got that guy right. in there. Yep. The fact that um, at the beginning of the movie, James Cromwell, who uh, gets prominent credit, you know, has one scene. He's he, and we don't, you know, the first time I saw it, I'm like, I don't know what he's talking about. Eventually, like, having seen it again, the movie again, I'm like, oh, he's he's. He's a whistleblower, right? His whole thing is, I don't think, I, I can't, I can't go on with this. I can't hide from the American people that all their money is being wasted on this issue, and it, they need deserve to be known. The truth needs to come out, right? Uh, he's the, I, I don't know, minister. What do they call him in the states? Secretary of Finance or something, right? And he resigns because the budget's going to come out tomorrow <laughs> and they won't be able to hide all the spending that they've been doing. Right? It's all about the economics and thinking about the economics. Here, that's all fantasy over, pasted over, so that so many times in this novel, I, I was considering starting this show this way, um, the word Tony just comes up again and again. Tony is our hero from every... Robert Heinlein story, right? Where he has to be told everything. So I'm just I'm picking a random paragraph. Uh, this is page 147. I'm just gonna insert the the word Tony, and you'll. This is how the whole novel feels. Is the creation of the of man the final climax towards which the whole of creation has moved, Tony? We said so in our infancy, Tony. Of our thought, we thought we imagined the world to be made by God, Tony. In six days before we had any compensation, even of our uh, comprehension, uh, even of our nature or of the neighboring stars, Tony, when we could not even have dreamed of the millions and millions of distant stars, Tony, shown us by our telescopes, Tony, (laughs) our wildest fancies (laughs) would have failed before the facts of today. Endless space, Tony, to the edges of time and the spiral nebulae, each of which universe 
with its billions of sun like our own Tony, right? So many paragraphs in this novel are just, Tony, are you listening, Tony? Tony, I'm explaining the plot, Tony. Tony, <laughs> you are our viewpoint character. <laughs> Um, and uh, so it's it's amazing that this novel works at all because of that horror. You know, I just I was laughing and, and, at, at how and, many and, times and the, Tony's name is used in uh, by everybody. Yeah, well, he he forget he, that, he, he re- Go ahead, Brian. I was say in American English slang that uh, Tony means um, expensive. <laughs> oh, 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 that's funny. How yeah, was that like was I that important for then? Uh, I really I can't find that out. I don't have a good dictionary of slang here, um, but I know it goes back to at least the 1960s. Hmm. Yeah, and you know Things that you are say. Old, that. Usually. Hmm. Uh, one etymology. Um, um, reminds for, 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 uh, I, Google is our friend. According to Merriam-Webster, the first use of Tony to mean uh, expensive or aristocratic is 1877. Wow. So there you okay. go. Before Wells, just 20 years before Wells gives us the star. Right. Um, yeah. And it makes sense because, among other things, we've got the Latin origin of the name, of, you know, Antonio. Um, but um, the um, I, I want to go back to something Maisa said. Um, that I, and I just want, um, if, if maybe you guys could help unfold this a bit. This mm-hmm. this is a page page turner. I read this when I was in sixth grade. And I, I couldn't stop wow. reading it. And wow. I understood maybe half of it. But, you know... Uh, but it was it was gripping as could be. What what makes it that is is it because we've got the is it just the threat of destruction or uh, how else do these things make it work? It's pretty amazing. Um, I, I would say part of it is is that there is a it, it's the same thing that makes a Heinlein novel work, right? It's the premise, it's the idea, and then like I didn't find myself enthralled by any of the characters really. <laughs> I'm like, no. I don't care about this guy. I don't care about no. that guy. It is it. What's what's so funny about those movies that, and this is in the thread, right, from Deluge up to Meteor, right, is that mm-hmm. what they do is they get character, you know, actors, lots of actors. They get them all together, and then they make a movie, um, and we get to see all the screen stars up there on the screen, right. I think you can make a disaster movie without any screen stars, like uh, Cloverfield, right? Has no nobody in it, right? It's just a bunch of people you've never seen right. before. It doesn't matter, because the characters don't matter. It's the idea that is, is primary. And I, I literally did not care or care to distinguish between most of the characters. Um, I, I mean, Duquesne, he, he's my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> but um, you Comic know, that's about it. Um, oh, go ahead. Go on, my son. Yeah. I, I was going to say maybe it's because it's a race. The book is a race. Yeah. It's a race of time, and so maybe that's why it's a page turner because you're racing with it. it yeah, it's surprisingly yeah. slow. How much time you know? How much time they spend doing things seems to be determined by not how long it would take, but rather by you know what how many chapters we can spin this out. <laughs> I, I assume that it was written before it was serialized, but it, it these are two veteran um, serializers, right? They At the beginning of the uh, first installment in the first issue of Blue Book, it says, you know, you know him from... And then they named two novels that he had serialized. <laughs> and then, you know him from... And, 
you know, and even I, I, I think I sent you all uh, a, uh, a clip of Edwin Balmer reading the introduction to uh, Red Book. He was an editor of Red Book, which is a, a companion oh, magazine to Blue Book. I don't Blue think Book. I got that. It's on Twitter somewhere. I uh, It was like oh. a some podcast that was putting together. And it had Edwin Balmer, his own voice, you know, doing. These, these were two guys who were big in the magazine business at the time. Um, so sure. they know what they're and doing. They know how to spin a story. Not- but it's the yeah. idea that really kicks ass here rather than... Of, um, uh, of two things. One is uh, Wilkie Collins, the great uh, Victorian um, suspense novelist. Someone asked me what the secret was. And he said, mm-hmm. to the audience, it makes them worry, it makes them weep, it makes them wait. Love that. Actually, I worry, love wait, and weep? Is yep. that what you said? Yep. Okay. Yeah. The, uh, I figured out for my first book because it was just such a, a great summary of serial fiction, you know, cliffhangers and all that. Um, the time, the risk of time. Marissa, have you seen this new movie, uh, Dunkirk? Dunkirk, I'm going to want to go see that. Oh, I want to go see it. I have not seen yeah. it. just came out, didn't it? I mean, here yeah. in Canada, mm-hmm. I think it only came out, like, yesterday. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it just came I out yesterday in the U.S. too. I haven't seen it yet. I was I was uh, traveling, but my, my family saw it. They said one of the interesting things about it is the, uh, the soundtrack, which um, is anchored on a ticking clock. Hmm. Uh, oh. And the, Apparently, I, again, I, I haven't seen it yet, but apparently at the very end, that's actually explained somehow. So whatever you like. But but a, a movie that's all the reviews say that it's fantastically suspenseful, that the, you know, the counting down of, uh, mm-hmm. of time is, you know, the ticking clock. So I guess that's a key part here is that right from the beginning, we learned, what, two chapters of them, that something mm-hmm. really, really big and bad is going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, race against it. Yeah, I think it, right. it has such a cliche setup too, right? With what's in the box? We got to know. Everybody needs to know. We're going to raise the price, right? It, 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 it overcomes. Yeah, but he does not tell them because he's such a hero. He's above money. Right. You know, he's above Right. Money. He can't be bribed. That's he right. cannot um, be bribed. Yep. Can I can I mention two other things from this period? I, I just just yep. I, I was thinking about doing this story today and how it would be different. Mm-hmm. And not just because it would be 2012, but mm-hmm. um, well, one big I actually use this in a in a blog post. Um, it's funny how academia doesn't matter. Um, yep. This yep. is oh, uh, it, this is big stuff. No, it's it, done by academia people. is 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 the check mark that shows you're one of us. That's all that you know. The the, yeah. pro, the professors are less legal last days. Yeah. But where does Herndon work? What's his job? You remember? No. He works at a chemical company. Mm. He's their chief scientist. Right. Um, and, of course, the, the we begin with the uh, South African Observatory Discovery, and that's a private observatory. Um, right. Run by a so, lord, yeah. Yeah. So what, what's mm. what's interesting is this is pre-World War II. So you get World War II where all these nations build up their, their academic might so they can do research. Um, and then after World War II, you've got the space race. Uh, which totally transforms universities into these, you know, gigantic research machines. And so, if you were doing it now, you'd have to have, you know, you know, UT Austin or Cambridge or whatever. And it's a staple of science fiction ever since World War II. That that's where mm-hmm. uh, the great discoveries come. So that I thought that was that was interesting. But let me go back to the, uh, the scary politics with for a second. Uh, 1933. This is an American novel, so I can say this. In 1933, we had unions. We we barely yep. we 
barely don't barely have any right now. So like nine percent of American workers are unionized. But also, 1933 is coming off of a generation of the most active union insurgency. Uh, in the 20s, there's a pitched battle called the Battle of Blair Mountain in West Virginia between uh, coal workers and uh, and their companies. There's endless amounts of strikes in the 1920s. There's a strike, a police strike, right? In, yeah, uh, in, uh, it's classic. It's shown in Providence, the comic, where all yep. the police go on strike, and it's yep. it, it's uh, this is a, t- a time period of endless uh, fighting for rights and and you know the the, the lurking socialism in the background. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, and and now it is huge. It's enormous. I mean, you know, in 1920. Um, the leading socialist candidate, Eugene Debs, runs for president from jail um, because he's been jailed uh, already. I mean, there's just it, – it's really extraordinary. And this is and why he got we invent- a good percentage of the vote too, didn't he? Yep. Uh, we invent the National Guard here primarily to be able to put down uh, labor unrest. Um, I mean, it's an extraordinary period. And shortly after this book appears, it begins to wind down because FDR basically strikes a deal with unions to give them a lot of what they want in order that they will be – quiescent and that's what happens in in world war ii and after world war ii union activity begins to drop down Uh, so for me it's fascinating to see how labor is so strange in this book you basically have a bunch of people making an industrial product the great wasn't it called the greatest achievement of the human race until this point or something Mm -hmm. without any without any unions and without any workers without anyone getting paid just the fact that that there's that everybody's uh, everyone uh, all of us we all know that we're not all going to fit on that ship, but it doesn't matter. We're noble. Right. We're noble. And then the, them, those hordes out there, the only way to stave them off is to get as many machine guns as possible, point them towards them, and keep shooting until you run out. And then burn them alive. That's right. And then, burn, burn them yeah, alive. and then cook them. Oh, but it's okay. We're nice because there was, there was two children, and we decided to take them. Right. Um, this is one of the things. This is one of the things that uh, that movie Deep Impact does. Right. What's so amazing is that the the same stories are being told again and again, and they keep picking out little scenes. So that scene where they have to choose who's going to go in the ark or whatever it is, uh, the mom uh, played by Tasha Yar uh, has to give up her baby to her daughter, who has just married the boy the boy who just Bronson basically. Who discovered this yeah. the the comet to go in the ark, right? And then they get cooked because of because of, or the sea comes in and washes them away or whatever. Yeah, the sea comes in. Yeah, but uh, all of this, like, if if the government, I mean, if you look at that movie, um, if if uh, by the way, both had black presidents too. Um, both twenty two thousand nine's uh, twenty twelve. And uh, 1998's um, Deep Impact Deep. had black presidents. Um, well, it's Morgan Freeman, and, Mor- and and he's and he's he's he survives through the end. He gives you a speech at the end, which is awesome right. from the front of the White House, and the camera pans around. You see the back of it's been destroyed. Right, right. Uh, right. Um, well, I I, th- I think you can turn to these little acts of individual heroism right. and goodness, because well, partly to go back to Maisa, there's a point about this being a page turner. It helps ground what's going on um, in individual details. So if you know you're thinking about a zillion people being killed, a continent being cracked wide open, well, here's a little kid crying. Mm-hmm. Out yeah. 
But then and we also little go back brother, to, yeah. Yeah, uh, we go back to what one of you guys said at the beginning. Um, I think uh, I think Paul, it was you about this being an escape. It's yes. uh, uh, apocalypses are always about escape. They're always the fantasies of, of people who are powerless to achieve uh, enormous change. Uh, so you you fantasize about it, taking care of you know taking care of business so that you have the aftermath. And here, it's not just an escape from Earth; it's an escape from uh, labor. It's an escape from non-white people. Yeah, uh, escape from in the se- in the sequel. I don't want to give too many things away. It's explicitly an escape from communism. Mm. Uh, yes, which uh, is actually yeah, the Pan Asians. Yeah. Yeah, so it's there's a, a lot of there's a lot of shade thrown on a lot of countries. The French get a lot of shit uh, in yeah. this, and, and yeah, they were like Germans a crap. And, uh, the, the, the French Germans turned to fascism, by the way. Just so you know, the yeah, Germans turned to which fascism. 1933, right? Yeah. Um, but what's interesting is that that's partly done for comic effect, and also you knew I was going to say this goes back to World War One, yeah. uh, which is only seven, you know, uh, fifteen years before the book happens, um, and they are. Uh, you know, it's said repeatedly, Europe turns back to nationalism, mm-hmm. right? which which makes sense. And, of course, that's prophetic. That is correct. Um, but I think domestically, uh, there's not a big fear of French immigration. In fact, quite the opposite. Um, Northwest Europe, Northern Europe, That's those are the immigrants that the U.S. is happy to have. Yeah, they're, they're comedic, right? He, plants, right? he plants the French flag on the soil. And then but the then, yeah. American says, I, I, I picked that up. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we're not going to do that. But again, that's, that's a very American American dream for the 30s. Um, but still, it is nationalistic. And it's this it's this purified fantasy of labor without labor, of race mm-hmm. without race, um, It's uh, which is why we have the religious sanction of it. I mean, the book is obsessively religious. I really want to watch the, uh, the George Powell movie again because um, well, I loved it when I was a kid. But also, it comes out two years, I think, before the uh, George Powell War of the Worlds which you might remember the very end has a massive biblical quotation, mm-hmm. which has nothing to do with Wells, of course. No. Um, so I, I, you know, the, I don't I think you should rewatch it because I, I was very disappointed in it. I, I didn't I, hold up much hope for it either, but I, I was like, this is nothing. It, it, this, it, the book is so big and broad and deep. And the, I mean, one of the things you that happens in the film is they're only taking forty-four people. Yeah, and a dog. And a dog. <laughs> and that dog appears again in twenty twelve, right? Um, and the dog, a little dog. No. Yeah, yeah, little dog. Appears in the Independence Day too, which is also an end of the world book movie. Oh, um, by the same sorry, maybe mentioning it. I want but, uh, I want to quote I, I want to read you this quote because I have I have two more notes and they're both straight out of the end here. This is page one forty seven of the PDF, um, or uh, it, it says one forty seven on it um, at the bottom. Uh, For they were walking hand in hand like children over the bare rough ground. The amazing aurora of this strange world lighted them, and the soil smoothed suddenly under their feet. The change was so abrupt that it made them stare down. And they saw what they had stumbled upon, and they cried out together. I can see them arm in arm. A road. (laughs) The ribbon of it ran right and left, not clear and straight, for it had been washed over and blown over. But it was beyond any doubt a road, exclamation point. Made by what hands and for what feet? What, whence and whither did it run? A hundred million years ago, 
The clock of eternity ticked with the click of their heels on this hard ribbon of road as they turned hand in hand and followed it towards the aurora. Now, so <laughs> let, let me quote. The world was all before them, where to choose their place of rest and providence their guide. They, hand in hand, with wandering steps and slow, through Eden took their solitary way. Nice. Oh. Last oh. Paradise Lost. That is not yeah. the quote I was going for. Uh, the quote I was going for, it's a yellow brick road, right? This uh, is the Wizard of yeah. Oz. Uh, four, four folks hand in hand, arm in arm, right? Um, one of them a girl. <laughs> and the rest of them, you know, the, the tin man, the guy with no brain, Tony. Uh, the guy with a big heart, the pilot, or whatever it is. And the scientist, or whoever it is. Um, I don't really care about who, what characters are in it. The important part is it's the Yellow Brick Road, and they're in Oz, and they go down the road, and what do they see? They see uh, there's a sign. It says uh, King Oz's Wizard Palace up ahead, right? Um, well, it's got to be a lot easier to do Oz when you when when all the Munchkins and all the witches and all the animals have all been exterminated by the millions of years travel through the deep soak of deep space vacuum. They're, they're just sleeping, is what, is what I figure. But, but, but I love that next paragraph. Yeah, read, read the next paragraph. I'm going to read it. Where are they, said Tony, almost as if the souls of those 100 million years dead might hear when they were whirled away from their sun. What stage had they reached? Is this one of their Roman roads on which one of this was marching his men to meet a Hannibal at Bronson Alpha's Cannae? What was yep. at one end? And what still awaits us there? A Nineveh of Sargon safe for us by the dark and cold? Or was this a motor road to a city like our Paris of a year ago? Or was it a track for some vehicle we would have vented in a thousand more years? And is this the city which we'll find, the city which we never dreamed of? Whatever it was, their fate left it for us. Whereas our fate, the fate of our world, he stopped. And, and then I was Eve thinking about Eve, it, Eve said Eve. Talks, <laughs> yeah, I was thinking about it, said Eve. Out there is space and scattered stones circling in orbits of their own about the sun, the pyramids and the Empire State Building, the Washington Monument and the Tomb of Napoleon, the Arch of Triumph, the seas and the mountains. Here, the other thing happened. The other fate that could have been ours if, our, if the world had escaped the cataclysm. What sort were they who faced it here, Tony? Human with bodies like own, our own or with souls like our own, but other shapes? Souls. There's the religious thing again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's totally different. On this, this road, uh, that, this Tony, this road perhaps we'll see. Right. Uh, there's a funny okay. um, a feeling I got when I read that in the audiobook. I was thinking, uh, oh, this is the ring <laughs> where you have, uh, uh, there's a planet out in space, right? And it gets cursed by whatever God curse, God cursed the, this planet, whatever. And it flies off frozen. It goes around to another planet that just happens to be full of humans as well. And a few of the righteous get on their spacecraft and transfer over. And then it flies off. Uh, that one flies off. And it continue, you know, the pattern continues. Because it, this is a terrific setup for the next book. This is why I, I don't like sequels, but I'm so tempted. This, I'm going to read this, for sure. This is so tempting to read the sequel. Um, I also want to point out that this is my uh, the 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 negative reading, and I'm sure Balmer and and uh, Wiley did not put it in here positively. Um, but I I got a I, it's the line made by what hands and for what feet, right? Mm-hmm. And to me that 
in the forest of the night. What more had no right. that careful symmetry. Tiger, tiger, burning, burning bright, bright in the yes. forest of the night, right? What immortal hand? Or, I'm going by memory. Uh, what immortal hand or eye did frame thy fearful symmetry, right? Now, uh, when it comes to the lines about hands and feet, let's bring it up here. Uh, in what distant deeps or skies burnt the fire of thine eyes? On what wings dare he aspire? What the hand dare seize the fire? That's Prometheus and yep. uh, all sorts of stuff. And what shoulder and what art could twist the sinews of thy heart? And what thy heart began to and when thy ha- heart began to beat, what dread hand and what dread feet? Um, so they are not they are not um, the innocents in Eden like they claim to be, according to my reading. They are the tiger, right? And that is the man, right? Well, the tiger, yeah. the man. What the hammer? What the chain? In what furnace was thy brain? What the anvil? What dead grasp dare its deadly terrors clasp? What and this is my favorite line from this poem. When the stars threw down their spears and watered heaven, watered heaven with their tears, did he smile his work to see? Did he who made the lamb, capital L, make thee tiger, tiger? burning bright in the forest of the night what immortal hand or eye did frame thy fearful symmetry that see that you know what all this is making me think what did the people on this other planet bronson b do to be wiped out so like if you're right now you're looking bigger because they were also wiped out to make they weren't wiped out in the same way they were frozen right but they were frozen but he but they were knocked out of their orbit and frozen for whatever thing that they did too to bring them here for us for the humanity to take over their planet like it, it is it paper. is such it, it it fits so much like there's so many lines in here especially near the end of the book where they they tony do you understand tony how god has graced us with his goodness tony us us east coast elites us who know like, well, yeah, there's but so much like, where it's it's all like, it's all about us right yeah so how, how the like, whole universe is working for us. Yeah, yeah. And that that it's um, she has a right to my vote. <laughs> That's what <laughs> this book is, right? Is it's so like it's not about the thing is, is if you look down deep, uh, Heinlein can't be right, and Rand can't be right um, because it's just too simple. And this that's the problem with this book. It's just too simple. But it's so fun. Well, this is what it is. Yeah. If Heinlein would have been a little different, we would have had um, business would have made it happen. Um, you know, it would be a big startup yeah. that made made this occur. Um, and there would have been some military angle. You run along military lines. Um, and, uh, and and that would be important. And then there'd be, and there'd uh, be a lot more sex uh, and nudeness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That the whole oh yeah, we can't have sex with each other sort of thing because yeah, that that the whole subplot would just go out the window. I mean, the, the movie, be an old man with a beard and no clothes. Yeah, there'd the, the, be a young man with a great physique and uh, having to share. I mean, all the stuff about him, the the love triangle, Tony yeah. and Randall and and Eve. Oh my God, Eve is such a. She's like, oh Tony. Why you can't you understand? I can't make decisions for the future. 
<laughs> I don't know what the, I'm going to be like on this new world. I could just, you know, have 20 husbands. Who knows? So yeah. it is so Heinlein, right? Yeah, it, is but re- it came down pretty Heinlein. moralistic at the end, though, didn't it? They, yeah. they, they killed off. They killed off the other guy. Um, yep. Well, or yeah. possibly, possibly. Mm-hmm. Um, spoilers in the, yep. in, 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 in the sequel, the other rocket did make it too. Oh, good. It, it crashed. <laughs> kind of like the uh, first season of Lost when they find the other half of the plane. Yeah, right. that's that's a very good analogy. No, yeah. I, I, except they didn't know what they were doing there. They were just they're flying off the seats of the pants. I I think that I think that the setup here is so good, and with the art showing for the 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 serial for the Afterworlds collide, I think. It, I really don't want to have to read the second book because I have a feeling it's going to be terrible. Even though it sounds so awesome. <laughs> oh my god, it sounds good. It's, can, it's I, got, can I ask you guys a, a question about this just before we run out of time? Yeah. There was one detail that I found really bizarre. Um, again, if we're talking about um, making this a page turner, we get uh, mm-hmm. Chapter Twenty One Diary. You know, and Diary. So we, right. we we bring that time. The clock is ticking again, right? But there's this really bizarre part about insulation. December 19th. Books. Hendren is a curiously yeah. ingenious couple. I discovered only today that he used for insulation between the double walls of the now complete arc, two thick layers of asbestos, and between them, books. Yeah. The books make reasonably good insulating material, which is true, by the way. I live in a very cold mm-hmm. spot, and our our walls are, are very safe. Um, we'll be provided with an enormous and complete library. I even saw a first edition of Shelley, which was designated for the lining of the second ship. Amazing fellow, Hendren. What? What's this about? What mm. is this just a cute idea, or is there anything else going on? Well, I, I don't know, but I, I will tell you that it's picked up in the 2012 movie. Again, a movie I cannot believe is so oh, good. God. Oh, yeah, the science fiction author. Yeah. So the main. Well, he's he's. I think a techno. He's more like he he wrote uh, Lucifer's Hammer, basically. Except Lucifer's Hammer was not a popular hit. The uh, the main character, John Cusack character. Um, he's, he drives a limo cause he can't sell his books. Right. Yeah. And he yeah. saves, he saves his family. He's a real nice guy. He, he makes friends with, with the, uh, the, the, the wife's new husband, which is just what happens in this book. Right. There's the, the two kids they pick up, uh, along the way, uh, that make their new, new non, well, atomic nuclear family, whatever it is. Um, and, one of the there's a, a big scene where um, the astronomer uh, played by Chiwetel Ejiofor or is it no it's not yeah yeah that, that's a, is it Chiwetel Ejiofor yeah anyways um, he's a great actor and he he says oh I read I read your book he meets him you know at Yellowstone and then later on he has this speech where he's standing on the ark and they've stolen all the paintings from all over the world or maybe that was in the other movie Deep Impact whatever. The ship is loaded up with all the all the uh, the signs of the elites, right? And then he says, "And isn't it funny that there's one copy of this book that I read, and it's all, there's only there's maybe 500 printed in the whole world, and I have one, and just so happens that I'm on this ship holding this book, and left behind at home <laughs> on the author's uh, table." Covered in beer bottles or whatever it is, bourbon bottles, because he's you know he's John Cusack in a in a movie. Um, 
is a copy of Moby Dick. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's funny, yeah. And that's it's also in it's also in Deep Impact. Moby Dick is in both. Uh, in in Deep Impact, um, uh, what's his name? Uh, the great bald actor from that uh, movie. Yeah, he was in the Right Stuff. What's his name? You know who I'm talking about? Ed Harris. Ed Harris. Uh, Ed Harris. No, 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 no. Ah, anyways, he. Uh, I'll look it up. Deep Impact. Um, he reads uh, it to the guy who was blinded on the ship. Uh, he starts reading uh, Moby Dick, and he's got it in outer space, right? So, um, uh, who is it? Uh, hmm. Robert Duvall. Robert oh. Duvall. Oh, he's in that. Oh, man. Robert Duvall's the old veteran space... That's he, right, he was, yes. They say he's the last man on the moon, right? Um, and he's a veteran of many shuttle flights, and so... They have this fake conflict between the new guard and the old guard, and Robert Duvall ends up, you know, let's go back and blow it up, and he saves the world, right? Um, so there's there's a lot of amb- ambivalence in this book, um, but everybody agrees, Brian, that Moby Dick is great, <laughs> even if they end up not taking it on the ship. No, yeah. the old- <laughs> but in terms of books, though. Um, yes. the, the father, like, I mean, he's a stand in for God, don't you think? He's, he's, oh, yeah. father, so he's the father. He's Noah. He's, all, he's also Noah. He's Noah. Right? So he's, of course, he's providing books. He's providing, you know, the bees and the books. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, he's, a, he's, yeah. a, he's a proto Heinleinian character. That's what I really mean is I think Heinlein read this in the pulps and said, that was pretty good. I can do that. Well, if if this guy's that, if this guy's going to be Noah, then uh, Eve is going to have a distasteful task coming up in the sequel. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> oh, you can't marry uh, she, anyone, dear. Sorry, Fair is better than Noah's wife, and in, in uh, this it doesn't right. even get a name, um, and and doesn't doesn't exist in this, right? The mom doesn't exist. There is no mom. I don't know. There's uh, no mom. Eve, Eve starts off as awesome in this book, and then she kind of slides into quite in the melodrama between the two. I mean, she starts off as a, she's the astronomer's daughter, and she's good at reading the plates, and she's awesome. And then her competency diminishes as the movie progresses, and that kind of in that movie, I mean, the book progresses, and that kind of dis- disappoints me. Well, it's, it's I just cool. noticed something, Brian. You sent me something weird this morning, and I started reading it, and then ran out of time. Um, it was called the Wonder Clock. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so uh, it, that's here. Oh, I didn't even notice that. It's uh, on the bottom of page 133. It says, yep. we see God not only... Uh, Tony, we see God not only sending us this, uh, she spoke a little impatiently, but arranging for us an orbit for it and the sun which will let us live. And then the next paragraph, do you know the wonder clock, Danny? Uh, the little boy looked up and demanded, do you know Peterkin? And the little gray hair, and I'm like, I didn't, I didn't know why you sent me that, but That's now what? I can see why. And then, certainly, said Eve. Once there was a giant, and starts telling the story, right? And it's also, it's a story uh-huh. about mercy, uh, where they decide. I didn't finish that. I didn't finish it. I didn't have time. So, how? how it's um, who's the, is the, is a great artist who who does Howard, it? NC Wife. Howard Pyle. Is it? Ah. Howard Pyle, right? Okay. Yeah, it a, is it a? Did he write it or is he just illustrating it? I think he did both. Um, in this case, okay. I mean, he's a he's a fantastic illustrator. Um, yeah. And, 
the first editions of the books he illustrates uh, are actually very valuable these days. But um, but I, for me, I guess one of the things I took away from it was it was a story about mercy, where uh, hungry people come across a rabbit, uh, which right. they should kill and eat for food, and they decide not to. And it gives them all kinds of uh, magical powers in response. Um, so I think for kids, you can see the appeal for this as a kid's story. Uh, yeah. But also it's this cry for mercy um, and in the book where, again, to come back to Maisa's point about saving the kids, you know, the, in the middle of all these horrors and vast sacrifices and deaths, you know, these little moments of, of mercy uh, really count emotionally for the reader. Um, yeah. I, I do want to come back to the point about Eve, though. Um, and uh, inevitably, I come back to World War One this way. Uh, in the diary, February 28th, uh, quote, women are doing tasks that women have never done before. Mm. And this is a, a key development of, of the First World War, which was that it, it shook up the gender settlement going in. Um, so among other things, you had, because you had so many men at the front uh, in every country, um, every country experienced women working in men's jobs uh, in huge amounts. Uh, so you have women working in factories, uh, in uh, in France, you actually had this weird problem of uh, of almost starvation because you had so many men at the front that they couldn't bring in the harvests. So you had lots of little girls, lots of old women, desperately were overworking trying to harvest things. Um, in Britain, uh, you had women who were nicknamed canaries because they worked at munitions plants, and some of the chemicals turned their skin a light color of yellow. Right, right. the radium girls. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And then after World War II, this is this is this is how, among other things, in the U.S., the women get the vote. Is they can say, "Well, we've done all these things. You know, we are. You know, this is a part of the contract. You know, we are owed that much. Um, you know, we are citizens." And I, so I, you know, the book races ahead from this point, and I, so I don't know the vibe for the rest of the book, but it certainly seems to be a little more gender equal than um, than a Victorian novel would be, for example. It starts out that way. It starts out more gender equal, and then it sort of fizzles out when when everybody comes for our women. They're breaking down the walls for our women. That's right. Yeah. That's right. They're ours. And so often, Don't touch my woman. So often, Tony refers to uh, Eve as a possession. Like women are still possessions. I need to own you. Within, won't this, you let me own you? But it, but Why won't you let me own you? But I, it is. It is. I mean, he does make her uh, a. A person with a brain who is in, in part of saving the world. So I, you have to give it credit for that. But by the she end, start off to start off with. Then yeah, she's yeah, a breach. Yeah, by uh, uh, by the end, Tony has gotten her. So it's like that whole stuff yeah. about her being separate and not uh, cleaving to him. Yeah, by the end, Tony wins her. So it's like it, tri- triumph of the patriarchy. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, very much. And although Tony's not the patriarch yet, um, that's his father-in-law. Um, mm-hmm. but this is, you know, it's like, um, uh, the proles are coming for our women, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, like, yeah. The, the, the world is ending. That's what they're worried about. It, 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 it's such, it's such a hand signal and such a, unfortunately racist and sexist comment in the narrative. I mean, I mean, if the world's ending, the last thing I'm worried about is trying to go try to steal somebody's Somebody's women. I'm putting that in air quotes, Maisa. I know, I know. It's like uh, I, I, I'm more interested in food and survival. I don't care about taking other people's women. That's just so stupid. 
A short time later, a man arose to bring the women water. He remained suspended in the air. I'm just repeating randomly. It's, it is... Um, it, it, one of the things that I think is pretty damn impressive, and I, I did check, and it, it is in the 1932 novel, not a revision... This has an atomic rocket, right? Mm-hmm. At this time, uh, they don't even have a nuclear reactor going anywhere in the world. Is that correct? That's correct. Yep. Yeah, I, I was, cannot believe that, how amazing that is. I mean, they know it's coming, right? They're all working on the idea. Mm-hmm. I think it's the late, very late 30s that the first one gets going, isn't it? Isn't that right? It, it was, uh, it was the late 30s, yeah. Yeah, in Chicago or something like that. That's where nuclear react, reaction starts, so... Now, this is definitely uh, ahead of time. I mean, there are other, uh, there's a whole story about this, about science fiction and magic atomic power. 1942, Chicago Pile. Yeah, Yeah, Yeah. 2 December 1942. But it had been worked. Ten years later. Ten years later. Ten years later. And this is, in Heinlein's first novel, right, the first one he got published, some boys, what do they do? Some boys in the backyard build an atomic rocket out of an old mail rocket. I want to do a show on this book because I really liked it when I read it a million years ago. Build an, uh, an atomic rocket out of an old surplus government mail rocket with their with the help of their crazy uh, you know, bearded old man and launch themselves to the moon where they find space Nazis. Oh, you, t- oh, you took my rocket ship Galileo. Rocket ship Galileo. Yeah, I, I, so met, I mentioned that on that the novel is sort of like a, a mini version of this in the sense that you know they do it in their backyard. They you know, living in the Southwest in the United States, um, and it, you know it's a very small scale version of this story, but for kids, right? So it's it's so cool. Uh, yeah. I can't believe that this and that's after that's 1948, I think. 47. Something like that. The first uh, ju- yeah, first juvenile is that? Yeah, 47. It's like that is uh, 12 years later, yeah, 15 years later, something like that. Holy cow! This book is so early, amazing. Mm. Yeah, because by 47, I mean, I mean, we had nuclear power, we had nuclear bombs, and so it's like, but this nuclear book nuclear reactors prefig- and nuclear reactors. working and yeah, this book yeah. prefigures all. I mean, it was a subject of intense research in the 30s, but yeah, no one had ever gotten close to. And, to, and 32, that's when this it started serialization, right? It's they had the idea, they had it written in 32. That's pretty amazing. Ahead of its time, that way. Yeah. But, but and, and they show the whole. Oh yeah, we're it's like it's again this 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 novel's all about countdown clocks, and that's why I think why. It does work. Like everything's ticking down. There's a race against the clock. A race to get the ship going. A race to find the metal. A race to get a nuclear rea- nuclear reaction. Or in other words, to invent the way to get off the earth. A race. To, a race for everything. And that's, I think, one of the reasons why you can get pulled through this novel. Although, although it does take its sweet time, and we get the side quest about him basically reading out the journal of uh, of the of the poet, which I I guess is the way to keep. Uh, point of view uh, tight. I would have preferred if we'd actually gotten those scenes as first person point of view rather than just being there's right a, to there's us. There's a lot being told and not, right. you know what, what's so amazing about the illustrations, right? If you look at it look just just look through the illustrations, almost I would say at least half of them are things described off screen. Mm-hmm. Right? So it'll say in the great steel mills, right? 
and this is what happened. And then you see a picture of it, and it's, that's not. It, it's it, it makes it much more real by having it actually happen. Um, and that's the other thing. This book feels huge because so much happens um, in a relatively short book, mm-hmm. right? 150 pages in the serial. No, it's what are you uh, going to say, Brian? It's crammed with stuff. I mean, one of the things with illustrations that are great is, I mean, multimedia always gives you this option of complementing content, of mm-hmm. outflanking it. But this is this is really really crammed. I, I just want I'm I'm running a bit out of time. But I just want to add two more points. Uh, we were talking about Eve's mother. Uh, I think it's important to remember that Tony's mother gets killed. Yes. Right. Yes. Uh, early on. Um, mm-hmm. So we this is. And this is actually politics in a different way. Um, You notice how quickly the veneer of civilization gets ripped off. Um, So this is that kind of Augustinian model that uh, humans are basically horrible beasts and are barely kept in check from killing everything. Um, I mean, I I would oppose to that uh, Rebecca Solnit's wonderful book, uh, A Paradise Built in Hell, which argues that actually when disasters happen, humans collaborate most often um, and help each other survive, which... I mean, is an important difference, but it's not the view of this book. Um, so I think you know, having that mother die is another, well, you know, there's the classic children's story, young adult story, Disney story, where you remove parents in order to free up the narrative, give uh-huh. the, give the kids the, uh, orphan view, um, and all of that. Um, but the other thing is, uh, there's this interesting echo and this is both 1930s and also, um, also World War One, the sense of mobilization. Um, and it's ultimately comic. Um, so remember, before the first passing of Bronson Alpha, and did you guys keep hearing Charles Bronson when you heard that name? <laughs> <laughs> I did think, I think uh, a little bit. Yeah. His breakout movie was called Death Wish, right? But um, That's not uh, his real name either. Bronson chose his own name, right? That's a Hollywood, he, a Hollywood thing. Yeah. Um, but you... Um, but, but, if, but he's picking one in that context, so... Yeah. And before, and it's, a, it's one of the most masculine names possible, right? Bronson. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but you get this. Uh, before, LeBron, and he's he's the son of what? a man with a lot of brawn. Well, that's right, very brawny. Um, but bef- but not bronies. That's different. Um, but you get this uh, <laughs> before the first passing. Uh, the U.S. mobilizes, uh, and this is really interesting. How they decide to just you know organize the entire U.S. Re- I find this interesting for a few reasons. One is there is the um, anticipation of the 1930s and 1940s of, of total war uh, uh-huh. and how nation is going to do that. Um, and also that's an echo for the U.S. because the U.S. went through this weird thing in 1917 and 1919 where the uh, U.S. nationalized in a very, very intense way in order to fight World War One, And they had weird spillovers. That's how we did, for example, prohibition. Uh, the idea being the whole nation needs to straighten up and, and discipline itself. Coincidentally, a lot of the, a lot of the beer makers in the U.S. were German. You know, Anheuser Busch, Miller. Um, so there's the patriotic part to that. Um, but this is also where the U.S. passes terrible laws, like the uh, um, uh, the great uh, "say nothing bad about the government" law, which is what uh, gave us Schenck versus U.S. Um, anyway, I mean, the the U.S. mobilizes uh, in this novel. Uh, we get this great line here. Um, Tony nodded. Machinery which organized millions of men during the war, World War One, was still more or less available for this much bigger undertaking from the standpoint of plans and human cogs. The hardest thing to, is to convince people that it must be done, but the leaders have recognized the fact and are going ahead. 
Uh, a sort of prosperity has returned. Of course, all prices and wages are rigidly fixed now, but there's more than enough work to go around. And keeping busy mm. is holding the masses in emotional balance. Mm. So it's kind of nice to be among our masters in this paragraph. Um, <laughs> but um, I want to I want to point out that Oliver Platt in the in the 2012 movie. I know I'm obsessed with it, but. It, it is really an amazing movie. I can't believe I'm saying this. It's so good. Okay, so Oliver Platt, he's the baddie. He has a scene where he's on the phone with his mom, and we find out that she's, like, got dementia, and he's not putting her on the plane or on the yeah. arc or whatever, right? It He is making hard sacrifices, making very bad decisions, we think, but he's he's also doing his best, right? He's tr he's just trying to get shit done, and the the sense uh, that Tony Tony's so angsty about his mom. Um, well, the whole world's about to die, and you're crying about your mom. He's not. He's our but, viewpoint character. But he's also ambivalent because a, a number of, a number of times um, um, his uh, manservant says, "Oh yeah." Yeah, your mom called, right. and, you, and Tony says, "Yeah, if he call, she calls, just tell him all right." Blah 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 blah. Yeah. But when yeah. when the chips are down, she he does really feel for her. But all the times, it's often kind of it's a very complicated relationship. Yeah, I thought maybe he was guilty for for push for like tossing her off so much. Oh shit, yeah. I should pay more attention. Yeah, yeah it's I, like I, I forgot Mother's Day. Now without the pay. Yeah, and in but don't forget that he at this at his reaction is he wants to kill, he wants vengeance, and he can't. So we've 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 the novel sets up that desire. Then later on, the, he does get to kill a yeah. lot. The, yeah, the, the reason I was mentioning all the mobilization, why I think it's slightly comic, is because it doesn't mm -hmm. matter. The science yeah. is wrong. Um, mm -hmm. the, the everything is wiped out horribly. Um, so all the all the migration, all the resettlement, it goes for nothing. I mean, there's yeah. that really weirdly pathetic bit of uh, president and his cabinet in. Oklahoma, I think, or in Kansas. Mm -hmm. um, they can't Kansas, yeah. They're just all... So, well, if it is Kansas, then there's maybe another echo if you want for Wizard of Oz. But, um, but then <laughs> they're by themselves, and then they watch, remember the end, they watch the ship, they go, there goes the American who's ever lived. Um, it's uh, weirdly um, nationalistic, non-nationalistic. You know, again, it's the... Yeah. Uh, very, yeah. I think it's the two different writers. I think it's of. well, and and the plebeian thing too. Okay, so then there's all those people they can have their press, but they're not us. Yeah. Right. Know. Well, speaking of not yeah, us, th those rules are for them, not for us. But <laughs> yeah, they're dignified too in their way. Yeah, exactly. I, in their way. Yes. Nice words. Nice words. I, well I, I need to log off and and um, friends and go um, you know uh, terrorize some plebeians. Um, <laughs> thank, <laughs> thank you so much. This has been a lot of fun. Thank you. What's thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Brian. Bye-bye. 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 Uh, you know, in the um, in the 1998 Deep Impact movie, uh, Tia Leone's character, she's the, I don't know if you guys remember she's, this. She's, 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 a, she's a reporter. I saw it. Yeah. She's the MSNBC reporter who gets right. to ask uh, the president a couple of questions and she she's finds out the facts yeah. or whatever. It breaks the story. Um, she has a relationship with her her mom and her dad, 
Um, her mom's lonely, and she basically kills herself. And then she, uh, before the end of the movie, she, you know, before the disaster strikes, she dresses up all pretty, and then uh, puts on a nice necklace. And then we find out, you know, collect her things at the at the morgue. And then um, the the father had broken up with the mom and started dating a younger woman, um, who eventually leaves him. Just as happens in 2012, right. the 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 rich guy has the light the wife leave right, um, but well, the girlfriend leave and go with the pilot, but the pilot's a noble guy just like in our movie. So there's tons of connections. But Tia Leone's character in in the 1998 Deep Impact goes with her father to the beach house where they spent so much wonderful time together as children, or when. He, she was a child and he was a young man or whatever and they stand on the beach waiting for the wave to come oh, that's so right I forgot there's about that. there's all even though i you know i'm i'm very ambivalent about deep impact in many respects i think it's much better than armageddon and <laughs> and Bobar. you know what's um get this paul yeah roland emberick also produced the last podcast uh movie we did a show about uh the uh High Crusade. He produced oh, that's that right. movie. Yeah, he's not a good. Crap. He's not a good movie maker generally. He's pretty <laughs> right. shitty, in fact. Um, and if you if you like, look who wrote this movie. Twenty twelve. It was. It was Roland Emmerich. Yeah. And a dude named Harold Klausner, who is um, m- a music producer. He does the mu- music for the movies, right? So it's an amazing thing that he actually made a good movie, because if you look at his his career, um, uh, Universal Soldier, The High Crusade, Stargate, okay, maybe something for Stargate, maybe Godzilla, The Patriot, ah, but he he produced The Thirteenth Floor, which is a very good movie despite its problems. And uh, you know, White House Down. These are there's a lot of junk, including. yeah, Independence Day, Resurgence, and in the original Independence Day, Eight-Legged Freaks. Right, He is a schlockmeister uh, of the highest order, I would say. But somehow managed to make a decent movie out of a piece of junk premise. Because it's got this grounding in this novel, I think. Mm-hmm. It's so deep, and it's funny that nowhere can I find anybody mentioning that it's basic. I mean, yeah, there's no other world, but it it's this novel, essentially the setup and the the. Uh, but it might be just that the circumstances, if you think through the the premises of this story, it might just be that all of these things naturally fall out of it. You know, the little kids and the family relationship and. The yeah. mobilization of the president and all all that stuff might just naturally fall out of it, and he just managed to Capt- do it right. But mm-hmm. even 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 if he didn't read it, I think that it's my unfounded belief that <laughs> uh, the cultural baggage of the legacy of film gets into you if you're around long enough, whether you've seen the films or not. So I think everybody in our culture who's you know more than four four years old, and and uh, you know isn't in a coma, has Casablanca somewhere lurking in their bones. 
<laughs> if you know what I mean. It's is uh, maybe this is um, by osmosis. Uh, it's in a, it's in your cultural DNA. It is. It's like Jung, right? It's it's like Carl Jung. It's sort of inside of you because of all the filmmakers who who has saw it and the films they made. Right. And people who saw those films. It's deep down it's inside deep. you. Uh, there's that, that airplane about to take off, right? Yeah. And, and as a result, you can make this movie 10, 15, 50, 100 years from now. It doesn't matter. It is so amazing that nobody says, you know, we have already seen this movie. Uh, in 2012, you know, the 2009 movie was not 10 years from the 1998 movie. Yeah. Or maybe yeah. it was. Yeah. No, it wasn't. Um, so the fact that, you know, every 10 years you can sort of remake the same story, um, the end of the world, blah, 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 um, and have it perfectly feel natural, there's something going on there that's pretty cool. It, and it, uh, this, this novel's at the very center of all of it, I think. The, 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 this is the taproot that all that other stuff can I – mean, I, I mean, theoretically, if you really want to go back to the Bible, you could go all the way back to Noah's Flood yeah. as the original – Sure. But oh, even that's super not disaster. where it starts, right? It's in it's in Gilgamesh. It's yeah, in it's, Gilgamesh. It's, so so we've been talking about wiping out the Earth for five thousand years, and we're still idea. Get together yeah. in a group and say, you know what? Let's wipe this thing clean because I don't like it. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. So five thousand years from now, we'll still be telling these kinds of stories in different forms. Mm-hmm. Hopefully on Bronson Beta. <laughs> <laughs> the Earth's dying from a different method right now. But it was a sad way to end. I, oh, I didn't wow. mean to bring us down, but you know. Yeah. That's the but, way to go. You know, dying from a different method from now. Out! <laughs> this has been the SFF Audio Podcast. Please join us at www.sffaudio.com. 